Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. to see you here on uh, Revival Wednesday here at Celebration Church. I want to welcome in our other locations. Can we put our hands together for Julington Creek and Orange Park and so Pastor Ian and Pastor Bob and uh, Tony and Robert and everyone there at those locations, man, we're so excited to have you guys with us. And uh, man, hopefully everyone at those locations, you're having a great evening. Hopefully your worship was awesome because we were having a great time here in worship and we're all going to just receive God's word together now. And so if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up. We're going to get to 1 John in just a second. But um, if I haven't had the opportunity to maybe meet you, let me introduce myself. My name's Clay. I serve as one of the pastors here at Celebration, one of the teaching pastors on the team. And um, it's an honor to, to be with you guys tonight and to be able to share just for a few moments. Um, pastor Stovall and Kerry, excuse me, are um, out of town uh, tonight, they're actually at a conference with uh, pastors and church leaders from all over the world in uh, Birmingham, Alabama. It's called Art Conference, and so they're there. And Pastor Stovall was sharing at a session today. Pastor Kerry had a session yesterday. And so, man, they've been ministering. Isn't that a really cool thought to know that, man, our local pastors that we hear from every single week, um, man, others are like lining up and paying lots of money to hear uh, what they have to say and the wisdom that flows out of them. And so I just feel really blessed that we live in a house where we get to receive uh, every single week from Pastor Stovall and Carrie. And I don't even know if they're watching, they might be in a session right now, but if they're watching, come on, why don't we put our hands together, just let them know that we love them right now if they're tuning in. I am grateful for their leadership. And as a matter of fact, it is Pastor Stovall's birthday today. And so if, uh, if you're on social media and you wanna give them a shout out, uh, today would be a very appropriate day to let him know that you love him. Uh, it's his birthday, and I don't even know how old he is, but just let's just call it 33. So um, that's just a good, simple number. But anyways, um, hey, another thing I, I, I wanna say um, before we jump into reading some scripture is last Wednesday and then this past Sunday, Pastor Stovall kind of made a, a new announcement because normally in this moment in service is when we kind of get into our tithes and offerings and, and you know how it goes, someone prays and maybe shares something, we watch a video and buckets pass and everyone gives like that. But Pastor Stovall gave some new vision and some new perspective as to how we're gonna actually do giving moving forward. And, um, and actually what you'll notice if you haven't ever noticed before is at, our, at each entrance into this auditorium, there's some offering uh, kind of containers that are there on the wall. And so what we're gonna do moving forward is that giving is just gonna be as you come in and as you go out. And uh, if you want a whole lot more, uh, you know, explanation, you can watch the message from last Wednesday and Pastor Stovall explains it. But, you know, the bottom line is scripture tells us um, that they entered his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. And so we find it very fitting that when we enter in, right, through the, through the gates, so to speak, when we enter in, we would do so in a manner of thanksgiving. And that's when we would give and sow and tithe and, and, and be generous and obviously faithful to the tithe and even over and above and, and acts of generosity. And we're just thanking God. We're, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving isn't an act, it truly is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle of Thanksgiving. When I worship down here in the altar, that's Thanksgiving, right? When I give and I sow in my finances, that's Thanksgiving. And, and so kind of moving forward, if you're, if you're not familiar, that's kind of how we're gonna do it. So if you didn't do it coming in, man, it's gonna be there on the way out. There'll be some ushers there as well to kind of show you where it's all at and help direct you. Of course, a lot of our church gives uh, online or even on the app, 
but uh, you can continue to do that. That's, that's very helpful for some people. But we would just say that whenever you come into church now and you look to the left and you look to the right and you see those containers, let your first thought in your heart be a thought of thanksgiving. Man, I'm so thankful to be in God's house today, so thankful for what he's done and what he has apportioned to me. And now I have the ability and the opportunity to, to give it back to him. And so that's how we're gonna give tonight. You can do so on your way. And so... 1 John chapter four. Last week, Pastor Stovall, as he was preaching, he kind of set up these four pillars, these four lanes, so to speak. He was teaching out of the book of Hebrews and he talked about these four different things and maybe he wrote them down. And again, you can go watch the message, but he talked about these four lanes, so to speak, out of Hebrews. He talked about praise, talked about salvation or redemption. Kind of, they kind of go hand in hand. He talked about sanctification and he talked about freedom. And he's been talking about a lot with those four things and he's, he's incorporating the altar and what the altar is. And I'm sure we're gonna hear more teaching on all of it um, over the next few weeks. He'll be back this Sunday preaching as well. But um, what I wanna do tonight is I just wanna focus in on that one pillar, redemption. You know, if you didn't grow up in church, who, who maybe um, didn't come to Christ or really started maybe attending consistently church until you were like 18 plus years old? Like that, that, and that's, that's very kind. That's kind of who our church really reaches. We reach a lot of people who didn't grow up in church. I love that about celebration. But that word redemption, uh, if you didn't grow up in church, you probably don't hear redemption being used a lot. No one really, like when was the last time you actually heard outside of church someone say redemption? Like it never, like we don't, uh, culture doesn't have a context for that word redemption, maybe even salvation, truthfully, but certainly redemption. What is redemption? We don't use that word, we don't say that word. That's a very churchy word, but I wanna talk to you tonight about what redemption really looks like and what Jesus did for us. So here in 1 John chapter four, starting in verse seven, you can't talk about redemption without talking about love. So starting in verse seven, it says this, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Just in case you wanted a definition, your Bible's gonna tell you, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son Jesus as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, let me just pause right there um, because a lot of times in worship, when we come down maybe to the front and, and you're going for it and you're passionate in moments of worship, we, we, we like to obsess over love. Like even, even in society, I mean, there's all, every year you can guarantee there's gonna be movies about love, right? What, at least how the world defines it. It's gonna be, love. We, we obsess over love, but what I would submit to you tonight is this, that, that don't obsess over your love for God because that's often what we do. God, God, I love, oh, I love you so much, Jesus. Oh, I love you, God, I, I couldn't love you anymore. I love you, I love you. And we obsess over our love for God. If you want to obsess, if you want to get crazy, obsess over the fact that he loved you first. Let that be your obsession. Not that you loved God, that he loved you. I don't know about you, I'm about to be 33 years old. There's been moments in my life I didn't even love myself. But he loved me first. If you want to obsess over love, uh, obsess over that love. God loved you first. 
And think about this, you know everything about you and he loved you first. Before you ever could open up your little infant mouth as a humanitarian and say, I love you, he already loved you first. He already said it first. He already showed it first. God loved us first. And so dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Now let's pause again right there. Watch this. If God wanted to condemn the world, he would have sent a condemner. But he wanted to save the world, so he sent a savior. That's that, that, plain, That's how we know what Jesus wants to do. He's not here to condemn. See, so many people, they have this wrong view of God. They have this wrong, God, God is harsh. God is waiting, God is, God's just got his hand back. If I come to him, he's just, he's seen all my wrongs. He's, he's harsh, he's heavy, he's mean, he's addicted. If that's your view of God, you don't know him very well. If he wanted to condemn us, he would have sent a condemner. But he wanted to save us, so he sent us a savior. And if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. Says it again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, it says it right there. People who walk around and are afraid of God, you don't know them because his perfect love, it's not about punishment and fear. It drives out fear, his perfect love. Verse 19, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this commandment. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. For the next few minutes, I wanna to talk to you on what I've simply entitled unconditionally. Unconditionally. I just wanna talk about the love of God toward you and I and how that works in his salvation and redemption that he has made possible through his son, Jesus. So why don't we pray? So Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word and what it will accomplish tonight. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that our hearts would be open, and that we would receive from you. Let us leave changed. God, I pray that over the next few minutes, God, the people who have spent a lot of time and a lot of years running from you, hearing your voice and yet ignoring, or maybe they were just afraid of what might happen if they came to you. God, I pray that they would have a new revelation tonight and that they would leave in right standing and relationship with Jesus. We love you and we pray it all in your name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Um, growing up, I'll, I'll share a little bit about myself. Um, growing up, I was a very strong-willed child. Was anyone else a strong-willed child? Or maybe you have a strong-willed child. Okay, great. So I was a very strong-willed child. I got spanked a lot. 
Now, when I say a lot, I truly do mean a lot. My parents might watch this a little bit later somewhere on the internet. I got spanked so much that, honestly, my mom should have just woke me up in the morning and said, let's just go ahead and get it over with because it's coming at some point or another. Like, that was my childhood. That was honest to God. Like, you see me now, and you're like, no, he's so sweet, he's so kind. But, like, back then, uh, it was hell. And so... Um, but, but, but I got spanked a lot, right? Did anyone, like, like that's old school kind. I know, like, not new parents. Like, I don't know how they feel. A lot of people are like, do you spank? Do you not spank? It's like new school of thought. Who was raised on the old school? Anyone raised? Okay, like, you, you know exactly what I'm talking. That's old school kind of thinking, right? Like, I got spanked a lot. But, but look, it's true. I, here I am. I'm almost 33 years old, and I do. I suffer from a psychological disorder. It's called respect for other people, okay? So, like, that's, there you go, Okay? All the time, I got spanked. And so, um, I would always be having to get corrected. And, and you know, my mom and dad, they would always say something like this. You know, they'd say a lot of those cliche things. This is gonna hurt me more than it's gonna hurt you, right? Well, then why don't you bend over and I'll give you the belt. So, um, uh, right, but, uh, but they would always say this. They would say things like, Clay, um, even though you've done something wrong, you're gonna have to get punished, you're gonna have to get a spanking, whatever it is, um, there's nothing you could do that would ever make me stop. See, you know. Can I catch you? Um, there's nothing you could ever do to make me stop loving you. Like my mom and dad, their love toward me, it was really very strong. And that's never changed as I've grown up. It, it, you know, it's not like I would ever come to my dad and I would say things like, Dad, you know, I know you told me to, to take the trash out, but Dad, I forgot to take the trash out. I'm really, really sorry. It's not like he would respond and say, okay, Clay, like, I guess you can take it out tomorrow. But look, you kind of failed me on that one, so I don't love you anymore. That would be dysfunctional. Dad, you, stole, you told me to study for the math test. Dad, I didn't study for the test. I failed the test. Dad, I'm really, really sorry. Hey, son, it's okay. You know, better luck next time. But in the meantime, like, I can't love you anymore because, you know, we're about perfection in this house. That's dysfunctional. That, that would be massive conditional love, right? That's, that's a lot of dysfunction. You know, the sad thing is, is that some people actually do obviously grow up in homes with, with types of dysfunction. Function. Maybe it's not that open and obvious, but there is some love dysfunction that gets into all of us at times. But the encouraging thing that I want to bring to our attention tonight is that our God, Jesus, he is not dysfunctional in any sense. He's not a dysfunctional God. He doesn't do love dysfunctionally, right? And in fact, how, how does God have so much love? Well, we just read it because God is love. He is love. First John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. So watch this, church. If you don't know God, like when you were apart from Jesus, I know a lot of us are in Christ now through salvation, but when you're apart from God and you don't know God, you don't have a relationship, you have not yet surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus, whatever you think you know about love, it is small and it is skewed because God is love. And so apart from the one who is love, you don't really know love at all. You don't know it as well as you think you know it. Because God showed it like no one else can show it. Right? God is love, right? Have you ever heard this phrase before that God is not mad at you, but he is madly in love with you? Ever heard that before? That's a good, that, that, I like that. That makes me feel good. He's not mad at me. He's madly in love with me. Someone said one time, well, what about sin? What about sin? God, God hates sin, right? And so if God hates sin and I am a sinner, then God must hate me. But what you have to understand is watch, the cross changed everything. Yeah. 
It changed everything. Boy, pastor's been preaching some stuff about the cross. Like the cross changed everything. What the cross did is it provided God the Father away. And yes, he had to do it on his one and only son. But all of the wrath of God went there on the cross a few thousand years ago. Why? So that now his overwhelming love and affection can hit humanity right where we're seated tonight. Jesus changed everything. The cross changed everything. Everything and his love is here and it's able to be accessed by all of us tonight. I love 2 Corinthians 5 and 21. It says, Jesus, he became sin so that we might become his righteousness. Now that's a ridiculous trade. There, there it is. That, 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 that's ridiculous. That makes no sense at all. You know what you call that? You know what you, you call that? Love and you call that grace. That the one who had no sin would trade his righteousness for our sin. You call that love and you call that grace. If you don't understand grace, let me paint a picture for you. It's like a surprise birthday party, okay? It's like a surprise birthday party. And and, and like, watch this. You can't throw yourself a surprise birthday party because the second you find out about the party, it ceases to be a surprise. The same thing is true about grace. The second you think you deserve grace, it ceases to be grace because grace by definition is undeserved. That trade of sin and righteousness, boy, we didn't deserve it, but he did it. What do you call it? You call it love, you call it grace. I don't don't deserve it, but that's what it is and it changed everything. That's what the cross did. It gave us access to something we did not deserve. We surely didn't earn it and nor could we ever pay it back. Do you know that if you live life trying to repay God back for what he did on the cross through his son Jesus, that's actually offensive? Like you can't, you can't repay it. You weren't meant to repay it. What you are meant to do is just receive it. Just say yes, just say yes. Receive the love, receive the grace. It changed everything. God is love. You understand that, right? He doesn't just have love. He doesn't just do love. He is by his very nature, love. Now, I want him to throw up John 3 and 16. Even if you didn't grow up in church, it's perhaps the most famous and familiar passage that we've ever come across in Scripture. It says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, leave it up there for just a second, because we're a family. I'd like for us to read it together on the count of three. We're just going to start reading it. Ready? One, two, three. For God... Stop! Stop! Okay? Let's just, let's just read the first three words together. Ready? One, two, three. One more time, just the first three words. Ready? One, two, three. Okay, now on just the third word. Ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. You see what the Bible does not say right there is it does not say, for God loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It says, for he so loved He so loved. He didn't just love, he so loved. Now let me ask you this question. Have you ever met a mom or a dad with the case of the so loves? It's real. Ever met a mom or a dad with a case of the so loves? I had a mom and a dad, thankfully, I praise God for them all the time, man. I'm thankful for my parents. They're still together after a long, long time. They, but they had a case of the so loves. And when you have a case of the so loves, you will do things that are extravagant, illogical, crazy at times because you so 
love. There was this one time I was in Little League Baseball. Here I am, Little League Baseball. I don't know, I'm in middle school or whatever it is. And, and, and I'm, up at, I'm up at the plate and I got the bat in my hand. I'm getting ready to, to hit. And truthfully, I was, I was much better in the field than I was at batting at that time. I wasn't a very good hitter at the time. And here I am, Little League Baseball, and it's my turn to hit. And, and that time the catcher on the other team, like he, he decided to say a few choice words to me. There were some, some four-letter ones in there. And so he's talking some trash. Well, my mom is sitting like right behind the dugout. And she so loves her boy. And she hears the catcher as I'm getting ready to hit. She hears the catcher and what he says to me. So what does a mother who so loves her son do in a moment like this? My mom gets up from her seat. She walks out onto the field of play. She is on the field. She comes over to the, the catcher on the other team. He's in middle school. She is just shaking her fingers. She, she didn't put her hands on him, thank God. Okay, so like, but she is shaking her finger and she, you're not gonna talk to my son. So, so now what happens, that kid's mom, she comes out onto the field, right? Like the umpire, God bless him. He's just trying to keep these two ladies Apart, mom is yelling at the umpire. I'm like, mom, he goes to our church. You might wanna like, God, she don't care. She don't care, right? You will act crazy when you sow. You will be extravagant when you sow. You will be illogical at times when you sow. You will make a trade, sin for righteousness because you sow. Love. He doesn't just love, he so loves us. He so, so loves us. A person who so loves, they're a little extravagant because they're caught up in the person that they so love. You know, you might be in here tonight and you're a bit unsure about this God stuff a little unsure about this, this church thing. And listen, that's fine, that's your prerogative, but here's what I want you to know. I just want you to know that God will never stop chasing you. He will never stop chasing you. I was gonna say, he'll never stop watching you. I thought that sounded creepy, so. He'll never stop chasing you. I have seen people in 33 years of living who have tried to outrun the grace and the love of God and you know what they got? All they got was tired because you can't outrun it. He will run to the ends of the earth to find you. His love and his grace is relentless. You are seated in here tonight. Maybe someone invited you. You don't even know how you got here. You are here because his love and his grace is after you. He's relentless and he has cornered you on a Wednesday night at Celebration Church in Jacksonville. That's how relentless his love is. That's how much he so loves humanity. He so loves us. And so I'm gonna invite TJ to come and join me again on the keys because I wanna tell you a story. It's a true story. And if... Uh, if you believe in miracles, it will be one if I make it through it without crying like a baby. But it's a true story, and it's found in your Bible in the Old Testament. Um, 750 years 
before Jesus ever came to earth to solve the sin problem in humanity, God's full manifestation of his unconditional love was put on display through a young man named Hosea. Hosea is a prophet in the Old Testament and he lives in the Northern Territory of Israel at this time now. Many prophets, when God would call them to be his instruments to prophesy and to speak to the nation, um, they were given very peculiar assignments. Very peculiar. Isaiah and Jeremiah and many alike, they, they had some kind of peculiar things to say and, and do and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's my opinion that Hosea is without a doubt the most exceptional, peculiar assignment that we can ever find of these prophets recorded in Scripture. You see, the prophets of the Old Testament, they didn't just get to give a word of prophecy to the nation, but many of them actually had to live out the prophecy. See, see, they didn't just get to speak it, you had to live it. Now that'll preach right there, that's a whole nother message right there. They actually had to live this stuff out in front of everyone, and so God speaks to Hosea, and he calls him to be a voice to the nation, and what God tells Hosea to do is he says this, he says, Hosea, I I want you to go and I want you to marry a prostitute. True story. This is in your Bible. I want you to marry a prostitute. Hosea must have responded and said something like, I'm I'm sorry, Lord, what? What? He's a man of God. You don't want me to do what? God, I thought that was like totally off limits. What? God says, no, no, you, you heard me right. I want you to go. I want you to marry a prostitute. God doesn't give a lot of explanation. You ever found that to be true about God? You don't always get a lot. You just do it. So he does, and he marries a prostitute. And what's her name? Her name is Gomer. It's kind of a bummer of a name. I know. I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say there's no ladies in here tonight named Gomer. I'm just gonna assume. So, but her name's Gomer, and uh, for a while things go pretty well. They have a few kids together and they're living life and they're, they're just building life, doing life together as a family. But then one particular morning, the prophet of God, Hosea, he wakes up and he, you know, he kind of probably rolls over and, and Gomer's not there. He's thinking, that's odd. Normally she's kind of here, and, but, but you know, hey, maybe she's up early today. Maybe she's out there making coffee, getting breakfast ready, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, he kind of gets up, he gets himself ready, throws the robe on, he walks out to the kitchen, and, but Gomer's not in the kitchen either. That's interesting. I wonder if she, maybe she, did she take the kids to school? And she, he walks back, but the kids are still asleep. Kids are still there. Oh, where's she at? Maybe, she, maybe she's out in the garden. Maybe she's out working, or maybe she went on a walk. You know, we love to do that walk, and so maybe she's out at the, the favorite spot that we like to go see. And, and, he, and he walks, at, he, he checks everything he knows to check. Gomer is not there. The reason she's not there is because she left him. True story. And here he is now. Single dad, three kids. Man of God, prophet of God. He's probably thinking to himself, I'm supposed to be a beacon of hope to this nation, but I can't even leave, leave my family and keep my wife at home. Embarrassment is apparent. The Bible doesn't tell us a lot about this particular in-between time, but I would imagine that Hosea had some pretty dark days. I would imagine that he had some pretty rough moments, him and God. Angry moments, sad moments. God, why'd you make me do this? I look like an idiot. I look like a fool. What is going on? I I I bet he had some pretty 
dark and rough days, right? But now here he is, a single dad raising three children. But the voice of God speaks to Hosea again. and God calls out eventually to Hosea and he says, Hosea, I want you to go find her. God, haven't we already been down this road before? God, I looked, I looked, I couldn't find her. What do you mean go find her? I want you to go, I want you to find her. And then God says this, and when you find her, I want you to marry her again. Boy, Hosea deserves a lot of credit. I don't know if that's what I would have done. I'm sure he maybe wrestled for a minute. I I, I don't know, but eventually he's like, fine, God, I'll go, I'll find her. And this is where we pick up in Hosea 3, starting in verse one, it says, the Lord said to me, go show your love to your wife again. Though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Now just stop right there because what that means is, in other words, at this time, the Israelite people, they are enamored with the things of this world. Like right now in this time in Israel, like they are experiencing prosperity. Everyone in Israel seems to be healthy and wealthy and and everyone's loving life, living life. And there is a really big emphasis on love right now in culture, in Hosea's time right there. There's a big emphasis on love. The only problem is, is that Israel is going about their love in all the wrong way. They believed three things about love that were false. Number one, they believed that love could be purchased. That, That was happening in culture at the time. Number two, they believed love is simply the pursuit of self-gratification. And number three, they believed that love can be found in an inanimate object. People actually believe this, they put their trust in this, but this is not love at all. And so what God is doing is God is stepping into time with Israel and he is saying, if you think all of that is love, then you know nothing of love. So what I'll do is I will step into this moment as God and I will put on display and demonstrate right in front of all of your faces what real, genuine love looks like. You don't know what redemption looks like, God's about to show you a picture of what redemption looks like. And so he says to Hosea, I want you to go find her and I want you to marry her again. You know, many biblical scholars believe that aside from the actual death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, that this story of Hosea and Gomer is the greatest demonstration of God's love in the entire scriptures. God loves, he so loves. So Hosea, he receives his instructions from God and he begins to walk out into the city to search for his wife. He searches and he walks out into the city and I'm sure on this search, it takes him into areas of town that no man of God ought be. Walks around and I'm sure at some point, he eventually finds himself in the red light district. <clears throat> Think about this, he's, he's asking people, have you, seen, have you seen Gomer, have you seen my wife? Did he have to ask other women who are in the industry? Hey, have you? Have you seen Gomer? I'm actually, I'm actually her husband. She's been gone for a little while. Have you seen her? Other women in the industry, I, I, yeah, we worked with her la- last night, last week, whatever. I mean, is he, having to, is he having to ask other men who have been with her? Hey, you don't, you don't know me, but um, I'm looking for Gomer. She's actually my wife. Have you seen her? Imagine that moment. 
Imagine that embarrassment as this prophet of God stumbles through the wrong side of town looking for the wife that left him. The Bible says his search eventually takes him into a selling block. It's an auction. And when he walks into the auction, he looks at the front, he walks to the back door and he sees the stage and he sees Gomer on the stage being sold. You see, she's in the sex slave industry now as a prostitute, she's being sold. That's what he walks in on. His wife is for sale. And he sees this moment and he probably goes up to some guy and he says, hey, um, that's actually, uh, it's actually my wife. And uh, I, I'm trying to take her home. The guy probably responds and says, I don't know who you are and I don't care who you are, but she's mine now and if you want her, you can buy her. Does he have to outbid other bidders? We don't know. But what we do know is that scripture tells us that he eventually pays 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley to get her back. Now, now watch this, that's significant because five is the number of grace. Silver representing the divinity. Barley, what comes from the earth representing humanity. You see, the gospel is all right here if we'll just stop and look at it. And so he pays, he pays, he paid it. And he gets his wife back. Now, if you're Gomer, imagine if you're Gomer. What are you feeling in that moment? She never fathomed in a million years that Hosea would come down to the auction and pay the price to get her back. What kind of shame must she be feeling? What kind of inadequacy must she be feeling? in this moment, but he, he purchased her back. Now, now my thought in this moment would be, but wait, Hosea, Hosea, she's already yours. Why are you paying for what is already yours? She's your wife. You're paying for your wife? You see, church, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You see, humanity is the unique possession of its creator. But yet God so loved you and I enough that he was willing to pay and buy back through the blood of his son Jesus what he already owned. You see, if you've been struggling with a picture of redemption, that is redemption. That creator God, who owns it all anyway, would buy something that's already his. And so Hosea, he buys her. And then he proceeds to renew their vows right there on the auction floor. In verse three, he said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. 
so too will I be toward you. He renews their vows right then and there in that moment. And then the spirit of God comes on Hosea in verse four and he begins to prophesy and he says this, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. After them, afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in his goodness in latter days. Now here in this verse, Hosea uses the name David, but he doesn't mean David. David has now come and gone by this point. He doesn't mean David. David is a messianic stand-in for a name that Hosea does not yet know, and it's the name of Jesus. He is saying that there will come a day well, there will be a righteous and true king and the people will not fear him or be afraid of him and his punishment and his harshness, but no, they will want to be with him and under his rule because of his goodness. It's his goodness. He doesn't know that in 750 years, the God that he is hearing from will actually send his own son into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. He's just doing the best he can as a prophet with what he has and what he knows. He says, goodness in the latter days. You see, those were not the days that they were currently living in. It wasn't, it wasn't days like that. But yet he talks about a day where it's the goodness that draws people to him. Look at Romans chapter two and verse four. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The good, just leave it up for just a second. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. Do you know what gets my hands lifted in moments of worship? You know what gets my voice singing along and lifted when the band and everything's going on and it's all singing? You know what gets my life surrendered every day when I wake up? It's not as harshness it's not fear of punishment. It's not because he's a heavy taskmaster and I better or else. You know what does all, it's his goodness. It's his goodness that lifts my hands. It's his goodness that lifts my voice. It's his goodness that makes me wanna surrender over and over and over again. That's why I say that if you're in here tonight, if you're in here tonight, and your view of God has been skewed for years and years, and you have only ever seen him as a harsh task master, well then no wonder you've not wanted to surrender your life because you're viewing him in the wrong way. And it's not his harshness that leads us to repentance, it's his goodness. See, repentance will come when someone has the proper understanding and view of God. When we don't have the right understanding of God and the right perspective of God and the right view of God or the vantage point of God, then, then no, you're not gonna wanna be drawn to repentance. Why would I wanna come to someone who's just gonna be harsh and mean to me? Who's just gonna condemn me? But God the Father didn't send the condemner. He sent the Savior. See, I just, I just wanted to share some of this tonight so that A, you could get a picture in your head of what redemption looks like, big word, churchy word, but now you know that you were purchased by someone who already owned it because he's so loved, right? So loved. Who's Hosea? God. 
Who's Gomer? You and me. You see, he won't stop, will he? He won't, he won't stop. He's not gonna stop chasing you. His love's relentless. He's not gonna stop loving you. The Bible tells us this story in Luke 15. We don't have time to read it right now, but it tells us this story of three lost things, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. This woman loses the coin in her house and she frantically, one coin, and she frantically picks over every piece of furniture to find one coin. If you're in here tonight, just understand this. God the Father will lift over every stone in the earth to get to you. He will not stop. He will not relent. He will chase and he will chase and he will chase. If you, if you refuse him tonight and you say no tonight, he's waking up tomorrow. He's gonna chase. He's gonna love. He's gonna love. He is coming after you because he so loves he so loves he came into the world to do two things to seek and to save to find and to father that's what he came for because he so so loves you see you read the Bible differently when you realize you're Gomer You'll read every verse differently when you approach it that I'm Gomer. I'm the one. I'm the one. New right, did wrong. Separated because of sin. Let, let left what I knew was right, went, went off, did my own thing. Shame came, guilt came, inadequacy came. It all, you read it all different when you realize you're Gomer. So what I wanna do is, maybe if we could just stand to our feet right now. I'll finish with this. Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 17. Why don't you just close your eyes and why don't you just listen as I read it. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. See church, that's redemption. Jesus paid a price to bring you back home. So with every head bowed and no one looking around, simple tonight. If you've never surrendered your life to this man, Jesus, real man, lived a real life on this earth, lived, died, rose again from the dead in his own power, today he's seated in heaven, he prays for you, he intercedes for you, he, 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 he speaks on your behalf, to God, the if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, maybe you've thought all these years that he's harsh, that you were afraid of what might happen if I came to him. You're afraid that he's gonna, he's gonna make you pay for everything that you've done. He doesn't make you pay, he paid. He paid, he paid. 
Maybe you were afraid because you know your own sin resume and it's lengthy and it's long and you're ashamed of it. And I don't even wanna tell anybody of what I've done or where I've been and the things that I've participated in. And, and it's just been, the enemy has kept you hidden and he's kept you far from God because of shame and guilt. But tonight, perhaps you're getting a new revelation of who this God really is. He's a God that redeems. He's a God that saves. He's a God that so loves. And he is a God that is here tonight waiting to buy you back off the auction floor of humanity. I don't know what has purchased you over and over and over again, but I wanna remind you tonight, church, that his blood is rich. It can buy back any amount of sin and unrighteousness. Boy, his blood is, his bank account surely has enough to include you and to welcome you back into the family of God. So if that's you and you know you need to surrender your life to this God who is so good, who is drawing you now because of his goodness, then on the count of three, I want you to lift your hands because tonight is the night for you to surrender and be caught up in the goodness and the grace that is Jesus Christ. One, come on, God is speaking to you right now. He is tugging on your heart. Come on, do not refuse him. Two, come on, that's the Holy Spirit. Right now, three, put your your hands in the air put your hands in the air right now if that's you put them in the air put them in the air right now come on from the front to the back thank you Jesus boy if that's you and your hands are in the air I want you to come forward just get out of your seat come stand right here right here tonight come on we're gonna celebrate you we're gonna celebrate your life we're gonna celebrate you in Jesus name come on come on come right now come right now we're gonna wait on you we're gonna wait on you we're gonna wait on you Come on, tonight's your night. Boy, it's his goodness. It's his goodness. It's his goodness. Yes. Come on. Come on. Come on. If, if this is your friend or your spouse, I don't know why you're still in your seat. I don't know why you're still in your seat, man. Come down. Come down if this is your friend, your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend. Come on, man, let's stand with the people that we love in our life who are making this decision. Come on. Come on. Come on, he's... he's If you're down here in the front, you can close your eyes. You can close your eyes. I'm gonna pray for it, but come on, listen to me. He's not harsh. He's not harsh. The wrath wasn't waiting for you. His goodness draws you in because he so loves. He so loves. Boy, even on days when you don't love yourself, he so loves. You have been his possession all along, but tonight you're gonna to make a declaration of faith as he is extending grace to you. And now he will no longer just be creator to you, he will be father. So come on church, we're all gonna 
pray this prayer along with them. Come on, if you're down here in the front, I'm gonna lead you in this prayer. My prayer is not magical. It is not special. It does not have any more power or authority than the prayers that you can pray. But we're gonna pray it together. I'm just gonna help lead you in it so that we can all pray, man. We're gonna receive Jesus tonight. So why don't we pray this together? Everyone say, Lord Jesus, I recognize my need for you. I am drawn to you in this moment because of your goodness, because of your grace, because of your mercy. I receive it. I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And I'm not even gonna try to pay it back. I just receive it. I thank you for the cross that you paid what you didn't have to pay because you so love me. And I declare tonight, I so love you. I surrender to you. My will, my plans, my life is yours. And from this day on, I am yours and you are mine. I'm a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here in Jesus' name. Now let's celebrate like something just happened. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.